Hey, let's rise up. Got this song we just learned a couple weeks ago. It's called Glorious Day. Great way to come into church. Let's sing. So I was buried beneath my shame.
praise God with our hands. Amen. Yeah, let's continue this theme of thankfulness and singing this song, Your Love Awakens Me.
church today, gang. Glad you're here. Uh, it's a great day to be here. A lot in store for you today. Hey, uh, before we continue on in our service, uh, let's do this thing. We call this thing the meet and greet. Be nice to introverts. Say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I want to welcome you this morning to Hope Fell as we gather for worship. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here. If you're visiting with us, maybe you're in town for the Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, glad to have you. Hope all of you had a, a great Thanksgiving. And, you know, today, this weekend is kind of when we turned the page, walked into a beautifully decorated church with the help of a lot of staff and volunteers and just props to them. This is going to be a great four weeks coming up on Sundays. We're starting a new series. Pastor Sam's going to kick off. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. A couple announcements real quick. First of all, this Friday, we told you about this last week, this Friday at 7 o'clock, John Glenn High School, we are going to have a prayer and worship night. And this is for the entire church uh, to gather together, whether you're staying in Saginaw or being part of the Bay City Church. We're going to gather for prayer, gather for worship, ask God's blessing on our new endeavor uh, of Hope Hill Church start, starting in 2018 in Bay City. So we're gathering an hour or so. Billy and, and Stephanie are going to lead some time of worship, extended worship. Pastor Steve and I are going to uh, share some devotional thoughts, lead some times of prayer. And we're just really asking for God's blessing on this new endeavor. He's been leading all the way. This is a great time for the Hopevale Church family to gather together. So this Friday, 7 o'clock, John Glenn High School. Also want to let you know just about our Christmas service times, that as you make your plans, we'll have five services over two days. On the 23rd, we'll have a 5 o'clock and a 7 o'clock service, and then a 24th uh, one o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock. The services will run for about an hour. Uh, doors open half hour before each service. We'll have children's ministries programming, uh, birth through pre-kindergarten at each service as well. And if last year is any indication, have a little more room on the 23rd. So our services on the 24th are more full. So uh, as you make your plans, you can uh, take that in consideration as well. We're just so excited about being able to celebrate together and invite others to be a part of worshiping Jesus Christ at those services. So that in mind, I'm going to ask that the ushers come forward now as we uh, take up the offering and just use this opportunity to thank you for being a generous church. You know, as we talk about ministry projects that we have going on locally, globally, um, we're just so excited, so grateful for just your giving. And so with that in mind, let's give uh, on the spirit of thanksgiving, right? With grateful hearts to our wonderful God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to come into this place to give you our praise, our worship, our gratitude, our thanksgiving. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we, as the scriptures say, want to give thanks in all circumstances for this is your will for our lives in Christ Jesus. And so thank you that we can be in this place. Thank you for um, our lives, our, our spirits, which come alive by your Holy Spirit. And in this place, Lord, we want to give you the worship that is rightfully yours. And as we turn the page into this Advent season, as we think about just Jesus and what his arrival into our world means, we pray that you would stir up in our hearts a new sense of wonder. And God, as we give, we pray now that you would receive these gifts 
just out of the overflow of our thanksgiving to you. After all, it's all yours to begin with. And so we just pray that you would take these gifts, use them to bless other people in the name of Jesus as well. And uh, Lord, we're looking forward to just what you're going to do in our time together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Again, stay seated, if you would, please. That would be great while we are, um, receive this morning's offering, and we'll stand you up in just a little bit. But my name's Billy. I'm one of the pastors here as well, and I want to add my welcome to Pastor Dan's, and um, it's going to be a, a awesome day uh, today for us. So it's Christmas time. You ready to sing some Christmas songs? All right, let's do it. Take us in, Rod.
sweet to come into your house. Yeah. It's so good, Lord, to just celebrate you and honor you for all that you've done in our lives. Uh, I know that I don't do this enough. Just confessionally, God, I don't spend enough time in my life adoring you. So we've sang, oh, come let us adore him. And we've sang, we adore you and how precious it is, God. It's really, it's like coming back to the well and receiving um, life and receiving uh, just pure joy as we adore you and honor you. We don't do it all for our gain. We do some because it's we want to experience your presence, and but or we do it because you've uh, done it all for us. You've decided to come into this world in the form of a human, a little baby, uh, to become flesh like us. In your scripture in the New Testament, the book of John, in chapter one, it says, "The Word became flesh and dwelt among us." for that we're forever grateful God so as we continue to adore you today may you accept our praise may you be honored with our intention and so we'll continue to give you our attention Lord we pray in your name amen in a spirit of worship go ahead and have a seat let's go ahead and start that over again we're going to sing this song uh, Melody's going to sing this song it's called uh, Advent Hymn and Advent means anticipation. Uh, people say it's Advent season. And um, some churches, I don't know if you grew up in a church where people did an Advent wreath. And they light candles that represent things like joy and love and hope and a Christ candle and things like that. But um, this season of Advent, this time of anticipation, of longing for the arrival of the Christ child, um, there was a longing of long ago of Jewish people that longed for a Savior to come and ransom them and to, um, to be their Messiah. We can resonate with that um, today because there's a second coming of Jesus Christ that uh, many of us don't think about all that often. Um, you know, that the Scripture says in Revelation that he'll come through the clouds with King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on his body, and, and they'll come to take his children home. Uh, that there'll be, the uh, Bible says, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more issues. Uh, there'll just be joy of life uh, spent with the Father for eternity. And we long for that as believers. And so um, in this season of Advent, we reenact. We reenact a longing uh, that believers had of long ago. So um, as we reenact, uh, join us as we do. Melody's going to sing this song called the Advent Hymn. And I 
morning everybody I'm Sam I'm one of the pastors on staff here um, I guess it's a little late to say happy Thanksgiving but it's Thanksgiving weekend so we can say Merry Christmas right Merry Christmas it's uh, it's awesome to be in this season and I can't wait to see what God is gonna do through the Christmas season here at, at Hopevale I want to uh, to welcome those of you who are in the venue as a part of our Bay City pre-launch team uh, services and team. We're excited about what's going on there, and so we want to welcome them into our service uh, this morning. We're kicking off the season, uh, the Christmas season here at Hopevale, and I absolutely, if you know me at all, you know this about me, I absolutely love Christmas, and I love the Christmas season. I, I, I think the Christmas season is my favorite season uh, of the year. I love everything about it. I love the music. Oh, the music is so good. Like once the, the, like Thanksgiving time hits, like I press play on the CDs, and I just go like Johnny Mathis Christmas. Like I'm, I'm an old soul when it comes to Christmas, so I love the old Christmas music, like Johnny Mathis, Merry Christmas, uh, Burt Ives, Bing Crosby, I just love those. But I've also come to appreciate some of the newer Christmas music. My wife's favorite Christmas album is uh, Mariah Carey's Merry Christmas, and she just cranks that thing up as loud as she can. Um, and I, one of my favorite new albums is uh, Pentatonix, um, the acapella group. They have a Christmas uh, album, and it is, I, I'll play that in my office all the time. I absolutely love Christmas music. Uh, I also really, really, really love Christmas movies. 
Um, and I will just watch them. Like the, the 25 days of Christmas movies, I'm just like glued to them and I have to watch them. I own a bunch of them. Um, old school Christmas movies like White Christmas. Um, I, I just, I love that. I have to watch that every year or uh, It's a Wonderful Life or even some of the more, uh, new, the newer stuff, the more, you know, modern ones like Elf. I love Elf. Love that movie. Um, Home Alone, that's like a Thanksgiving tradition that I have to watch it. Like Thanksgiving happens, Thanksgiving equals Home Alone for me. Um, and then my absolute favorite Christmas movie of all time, A Christmas Story. Um, <laughs> Ralphie with the BB gun. I, I just absolutely love it. And I think it's because I have um, two boys and I identify with that kid all the time. That was my entire life growing up. So um, I love that, uh, that movie especially. Um, I also, I, I love Christmas decorations. I love driving down Titabawassee when they have the trees up, you know, and you can drive down and see all the lights and the decorations. I'm like, oh, it's Christmas time. And then I get to decorate my own house. There's trees all over the place and lights. And, you know, I, I try not to Clark Griswold myself um, as I'm hanging the lights from my house. But... I love the Christmas decorations. I love how our, our stage transforms and our lobby. Our team does such a great job around Christmas time with all that stuff. They do a great job anyway, but Christmas time you get to see it come alive. And I'm just like, oh, I love this season. I just remember being a kid. And this season was like the most magical season ever. There was, there was so much fun and so much anticipation going on that I could hardly stand it. Maybe you did this when you were a kid, but we had like a countdown calendar. Of, and it, it wasn't the, the days till Christmas for me. It was the day until Christmas break, you know, when school got out. Because, you know, let's just be honest, like school wasn't my favorite. But uh, it, once that day happened, I knew Christmas was right around the corner. And I was like, yes, Christmas break. And my mom was like, oh, it's great. And then like, no, go back to school. Um, and I understand that now, a parent of three kids. But I, I would just count down the days knowing Christmas was right around the corner. Christmas was just such a magical thing for me as a kid. You know, but as, I, as I've grown older, and maybe some of you have experienced this too, and you know, as you grow older, the, the magic, the mystery, the excitement, it seems to fade a little bit as you grow older. And I was, I was scrolling through Twitter this week, and I saw an article about it, and they were talking about this very thing, that, that as we get older, um, the magic kind of seems to fade. And maybe it's the, the crazier life gets, you know, the, the more life happens to us and around us, the less we feel the, the Christmas magic. And it's not that it isn't there, it's still there. You know, there are just other things now that are lobbying for our attention and trying to get us to focus on them. And I, I don't think it's just Christmas. I think this just happens to us as we get older, life in general, you know. You know, as we grow older, what used to be magical what used to be like, you know, captivating and exciting, it, it ends up becoming a little more ordinary in our lives. Maybe it's our experiences that drive us to that. Um, maybe it's you, you learned something that kind of, kind of took the magic out of it a little bit. I don't know what it is, but, but that, it happens. You know, the older we get, it just becomes a little more commonplace and a little more ordinary. That happened to me with, um, with Disneyland. Um, I, if you know me and all you know that I grew up in California, and uh, I remember going to Disneyland as a little, little kid. My parents took me. I don't remember the first time I went. I was a baby, and so there's pictures, but I don't remember that. But I remember being like three or four years old, and my parents taking me to Disneyland. I remember just walking in and going, 
this is the best place ever. Like the castle and the rides. If you've ever been to Disney, you know how like it's crazy. But you walk in and I just was, and there's Mickey and there's Minnie. And I just was like, the magic of Disneyland just captivated me. And I was like, this is so amazing. And I would go back a couple more times in my childhood and it was the same experience. And then I hit 13. My parents decided to take our entire family, uh, me and my sister, and then our cousins, and they're all the, everybody to Disney. And I was the oldest of all of my cousins. So some of them were really little, like five years younger than me, and I was 13. And so I was, you know, kind of too cool for things. Um, and I remember walking through Disneyland, and funny, I, there's a picture of me walking through Disneyland with a Michigan hat on, go blue. Um, but I, I had no idea why I like Michigan, I just did. Um, so I, would, I was walking through Disneyland, and I kind of was looking around going, I don't know if it's still cool to like Disneyland. Um, but I was like, whatever, this is cool, I love this. So I became a little kid again and loved it. It, didn't, it wasn't until I was about a junior in high school. See, my junior year, my senior year in high school, and then my freshman year in college, I went to Disneyland every year <laughs> for three years straight. Uh, my junior year, I was a part of a, um, a show choir in my high school. I know, you can see that, right? Um, and I, we, our show choir won a thing called Magic Music Days, and we got to sing in the park. And so that was kind of a cool thing. And then we got to spend the rest of the day in there. And it like stormed like crazy that night. So all the outside rides were shut down. And so we had to just do the inside rides. And I remember being a high schooler going, this was cool when I was a kid. Like, but you can only ride Small World so many times before you get annoyed. Um, and so me and my friends, you know, unsupervised high schoolers did what we, those, you know, what we do. And we got out of the boat in the ride and walked around and got in trouble. Um, but, you know, it's, well, I was a high schooler. So... Uh, the next year, as a senior in high school, uh, I w went on a missions trip to Mexico, and then on the way back, we went to Disneyland. So I've just been here the year before, and so I'm walking around going, well, it's, it's Disney. I mean, that's great. It's kind of cool. But I was, I was way more into, like, thrill rides, like Cedar Point and that kind of stuff. And so I was like, that's cool to me. This is kind of like for little kids. And then I went as a freshman in college because my parents thought it would be a good idea to do that before I went off and, you know, became an adult. And I, remember, I was walking around like I owned the place. I'm like, I know where this is at. I know where this is at. This is where we sang two years ago. This is this. But it just wasn't, it just wasn't as cool anymore. It wasn't as magical. It was kind of like, eh, it's Disney. And then I got married. And um, my wife and I, before we had kids, we decided we wanted to go to Disneyland. And my, so my parents took us. And my wife had never been. She grew up in Ohio and New York, so she had never been to Disneyland ever. And so I got a chance actually to see Disney through her eyes. And she walked in and she was like, oh, look at this place. It's so amazing. And my perspective started shifting a little bit and started changing. And then we had our two boys. Now, we have three kids now, so Nicholas, Jonathan, and Karis. But we had, when we had our two boys, we didn't have Karis yet. They're three and one. We decided to take them to Disneyland. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, had a chance to take little kids to Disney, but it's like the most overwhelming experience as a parent, but watching them have their eyes light up and go, oh, like having our little son Jonathan, he was one year, one year old, and Minnie Mouse come up and give him a kiss. It was like the cutest thing in the world, and he just had this big old smile on his face, and I'm like, that's it. There's the magic. All it took for me to regain, recapture that was to see this thing that had become ordinary through somebody else's eyes. Through somebody else's eyes. But as we get older, we kind of, the, the magic and the, the wonder of those kind of things, they kind of become more commonplace and they kind of dim out. And I tell you all that because 
We can kind of feel like that when it comes to the story of Christmas, too. Now, I'd assume that most of us, maybe even a majority of us in this room, have heard the stories of Christmas and the events surrounding the birth of Jesus so many times that we could probably, you know, at the least, if I were to call you up here, give a, a pretty good outline of what the story should be. We can kind of hit the major points, and we've heard it so many times. And, and the more we hear these stories, the more ordinary and commonplace they can actually become. Stories that were once full of magic and wonder have now become a little more dim and maybe even uneventful to us. The magic, the wonder has been replaced with, you know, I've been there, I've heard that, I know that, I can repeat that, I can tell you the story myself. The older we get, the more we hear these stories of Christmas, the less we are captivated by it. But what if, what if we could recapture the wonder of the story of Christmas? What if we could see the story of Christmas differently? See, when, when, when the wonder and the magic of something is dimming or is being lost, like me with Disneyland, we just need to see, you know, train our, ourselves to see it through different eyes, through new eyes. Because I think the more we see it through new eyes, the more we can be recaptivated by it. And that's what we want to try to do and accomplish in this series that we're calling Wonder. We want to try and recapture the wonder of Christmas by taking a fresh look at the stories that have become all too familiar and seeing what is there that would spark wonder and amazement in us again. And so let's just jump right into the story and see where it takes us and the wonder that we can discover from it. So I'm just going to jump right into Luke chapter 2. It's the the, the most familiar, probably, of all the Christmas stories. And I want us to see that this, this story begins with what might seem to be a pretty insignificant announcement. So Luke chapter 2, an insignificant announcement. We'll start in verse 1. It says this, the story goes this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, an announcement, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. An insignificant announcement. You know, God, God sparks an idea in Caesar Augustus' mind that it's time to count the people of his kingdom. Caesar is, is the leader of the world, basically. Rome is the, the empire that is you know, governing all of the world. They've taken over. They're the world power, and Caesar is the one in charge of that. And so he wants to measure his power. He wants to see, you know, how influential am I? How important am I? And so let's count everybody in my kingdom. And so he sends everybody back to their hometown, where they were born or where their parents resided or where they grew up, so that they can be counted. Now, under any other circumstances, this wouldn't even make headlines at all. like any news station. It would be viewed as a a very insignificant blip on the radar screen of history. I mean, so insignificant that if you go back through Roman history, they don't even record their censuses. They don't, anytime they ever did this, they don't even record it. The ones that are recorded, usually are recorded by other countries that are recording it about what Rome imposed on them. And so, These censuses are just kind of ordinary, insignificant. They're more significant to Caesar than anybody else. In fact, 
some of the people, most of the people in our story, probably viewed it more as an inconvenience than anything else. I mean, think about it. You have to go be counted. So get up and go back to where you were born, back to where you lived, where your parents are at to be counted. It's like, well, we don't live there anymore. We have to do this. So they get up and they have to travel. And anybody who travels on holidays knows it's terrible. So this is what is going on in this story. It's super inconvenient. But it all starts with this insignificant announcement of a census. I mean, just think about it. Can you recall the last census that you took part in? And I'm not talking about the day, the date, or like the year. I'm talking about like, can you wrap your mind around anything significant that resulted from it in your world of of being a part of a census? No, it's a rather insignificant thing. It's like, well, I I guess, um, Sam, I'm here. Great. That's being counted as a part of the census. It's, It's relatively an insignificant thing to most people. And it was sure an inconvenient thing for the people in this story. But God chose to use this insignificant announcement to begin the story of the birth of the Savior of the world. And the timing of this announcement was perfect. It was perfect. I mean, think about it. Any earlier or any later, if Caesar makes this announcement any earlier or any later, Joseph and Mary would not have traveled at the right time to be in the right place for the birth of Jesus. And that would mean that he would not have fulfilled one of the huge, one of the huge prophecies of him being the Messiah. So it was perfect timing. What seemed like a very insignificant announcement, God used in a very significant way. He said, Caesar, I want you to, to say that we're going to have a census. We're going to count everybody. Yeah, I know you think this is make, makes you look important, but guess what? It's going to make me look important. <laughs> it points back to the significance that God wants to have in it. And so this insignificant announcement causes a small family to uproot and to get on the road and travel to a very insignificant destination. An insignificant destination. Look at verse 4. So so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This, This insignificant announcement of a census to be counted causes Joseph and a very pregnant Mary to travel the 157 kilometers or roughly 97 miles from Nazareth in the northern part of Israel down to Bethlehem in the southern part of Israel. Bethlehem, the the birthplace of King David. And that's pretty much all that it was significant for. I mean, this was a, a place that you would go to and you would be like, there's nothing here to do. Like everybody's left. Nobody's here. This is not that big of a place. It's not that big of a town. I mean, even now, today, only about 27,000 people live there. And so it was smaller back then. No one would have thought for a second that anything significant would have happened or come from this little one-stoplight kind of town. I mean, Jerusalem? Oh, yeah, definitely. Rome? Yes, definitely. It's the center of the world. But Bethlehem? <laughs> no, nothing comes from Bethlehem. There's, not, you know, there's nothing good that ever comes out of there. Like, 
But it was where people who belonged to the lineage of King David had to go to be counted in the census. And so both Joseph and Mary, their lineage traces back to King David. You'll, you can read that later on in the book of Luke and the, the opening chapter of Matthew. Both of their lines trace back to King David. And so they had to go to this little insignificant town. But it was more than just a little insignificant town. In fact, hundreds of years earlier, God chose a prophet named Micah to tell us why this little town was going to be great. Look what it says here, Micah 5.2. The prophet speaking, he's saying, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small, also can be translated insignificant, meaningless. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, even this prophecy states that, that Bethlehem is a pretty insignificant place, a pretty small place, like not much is going on there. Comparatively to the rest of the, the regions in Israel, Bethlehem is just this you know, small place that you pass through to get somewhere else. It has no big purpose or big meaning. But God loves taking what is, seem, what is seemingly insignificant and making something amazing out of it. I mean, it sounds familiar, right? The, this whole, like, he, you, the insignificant becomes significant. I mean, later on in the life of Jesus, as he's teaching and in his ministry, he would say things like this, the, the least will be the greatest, or whoever is last shall be first. See, God begins to use that right here. And saying, I know everybody, <laughs> looking at this story, you think this is insignificant. You might think, what, what's the purpose of this? But God's saying, wait, hold on. I'm going to make it significant. I'm going to make it a big deal. So an insignificant announcement, a census, leads to an insignificant destination for an insignificant family. An insignificant family. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there, were no, there was no guest room available for them. She wrapped him in claws and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. This small little traveling family gets to Bethlehem only to find that this little insignificant town is now bustling with activity and has quickly become overcrowded and crazy like Walmart on Black Friday. <laughs> and I think that it's important to note something here. I think we often assume that the reason this family had to find lodging in a stable was because there were no rooms available because of the overcrowdedness of Bethlehem. That's what we, we, we assume and we read here. We think we read this here. And while that may be true, I think there's something more going on in the text here that we need to pay attention to. Because I believe that even if there was a room available, it wasn't available to them. The reason I say that is because we find out later in the story that Joseph and Mary were a poor, a poor family, a very poor family from very humble origins. They were almost unimportant, insignificant. 
You know, when they, later on, eight days after the birth of Jesus, they go back to the temple, as is the custom they're supposed to do, to offer a sacrifice to God. And, and it tells us that um, Joseph and Mary offered a pair of doves or pigeons. And the reason that that's so important for us to pay attention to and to know is because Leviticus 12.8 tells us that, that this sacrifice specifically is for those who could not afford to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. See, the very rich, they would offer a bull or a cow. And then the middle class people, they would offer a lamb. But if you could not afford any of that, if you were the poorest of the poor, then your offering would be two pigeons or two doves. And that was their offering. This is a very poor family. Not only were there no rooms for them to lodge in, that there, there were no rooms that they could afford to lodge in. Especially during this census, because as any hotel owner would tell you or do during something like this, you know, the, the room rates were probably through the roof. They were probably going, <laughs> look at all the people coming to this little town. And so they probably couldn't afford it. A simple supply and demand thing made it so Joseph and Mary could not afford a room. So even if there was a room, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't be able to stay in it. See, the stable points to the insignificance of this couple compared to the rest of the people in Bethlehem. While everyone else in Bethlehem is enjoying their room, maybe, <laughs> in the overcrowdedness, here is this small family on the outskirts in a very insignificant place. And I just like to even imagine that maybe there were families kind of looking out over the stable and kind of going, what's going on over there? I don't know. It must not be that big a deal. They're in the stable and kind of passing by, kind of like we do sometimes when people are in need and we kind of go, I guess someone will take care of that and walk the other way. I'm sure that was happening a lot in Bethlehem. But because of an insignificant announcement, that led an insignificant family to an insignificant destination, God did the most significant thing in all of history. God made his dwelling here with us, as John says in John chapter 1. Emmanuel, God with us. And so while all of Bethlehem was overcrowded, frustrated, inconvenienced, and asleep, wonder was happening in a quiet little insignificant stable. So the message of wonder is that in the middle of the chaotic, overcrowded, and inconvenient, God is speaking to us and he's saying, wake up. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss what I'm doing right next door or right in your midst. But most missed it. Most slept through it. Most were too exhausted from the chaos of their normal everyday lives or even from the trip that they just made to see that God was doing something amazing right next door to them. And so God uses what's seemingly an insignificant announcement, an insignificant destination, and an insignificant family to do the most significant thing in history, bring about the birth of his son, the savior of the world. I think there are, are, are two really big truths, two big lessons that, that we can learn from the beginning of this Christmas story that are very practical in our everyday lives that can help us wake up the wonder of Christmas 
this Christmas season. The first one is this, and I think this is so important. It's that God determines what is significant, not us. I think we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. It's God who determines what is significant and not us. I think for most of us, if we were just looking at all the details of this story from, the out, from an outside observer's point of view, we would probably come to the conclusion that most of this story was a bit underwhelming at best. I mean, think about it. A census, that's how it starts. Being counted. And this poor little family goes to this little tiny small town and they can't find a room so they go to a stable and the baby is born. It's not going to make millions of dollars at the box office. Most of us would think, well, I don't know if that's that significant, but that's the beauty of this story. That's the beauty of this story. That's the wonder of Christmas, that God takes the seemingly insignificant and fuses tremendous significance into it. It's not, it's not the details of the story that are significant. It's that God chose and determined that they would have significance. That's the most important part of this. And what makes this truly wonderful is that it offers hope to the hopeless. It offers significance to the insignificant. It proclaims, as Jesus read about himself from the Old Testament, it proclaims freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. It gives hope that the oppressed will be set free and that God's favor rests not on those who deem themselves as significant, but who God deems as significant. Not on those who feel like they're worth loving, but on whom God determines is worth loving. And God said he loves the whole world. It's so important that we don't miss this. And so if you're here this morning and you feel hopeless, if you feel insignificant, if you feel oppressed, if you feel worthless, the message of the wonder of Christmas is for you. Don't miss that. That God determines what is significant, not us. The second thing that we learn from this beginning of this story is, is this. Don't be in Bethlehem and miss the wonder. Don't be in Bethlehem and miss the wonder. I mean, just think about the thousands of people that were gathered there in Bethlehem that night, cramped and crowded into hotel rooms with screaming kids that wouldn't go to sleep. They were there. They were physically in Bethlehem, right where all of this was taking place. In fact, probably later on, they were like, I was there. I was in Bethlehem right when that took place. That was so awesome. What happened? I don't know. They were there. And yet they missed the wonder that happened right next door to them. Why did they miss it? I think a couple reasons. I think, number one, they weren't looking for it. They weren't looking for it. They probably had heard the stories of the prophecy of the Messiah for hundreds and years that story had been told. And they probably got to the point where, you know, after, after you don't see something happen for a long time, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. We have to go to Bethlehem. Wasn't there something about Bethlehem? Yeah, whatever. They weren't looking for it. I think that's the first reason they missed it. I think the second reason they missed it was because they were distracted by everything else that was going on in that moment. 
I think if the lesson of the rest of Bethlehem, the rest of the people in Bethlehem is anything, it's this. It's don't get so distracted and focused on other things that you miss the wonder of what God is doing right in your midst. Don't get so distracted on everything else, especially during Christmas time, that you miss the wonder of what God wants to do right in your midst. But it's so easy, right? It's so easy to get distracted, especially at this time of year, to let everything else crowd out your space for wonder. We've got things like school plays, gifts that need to be bought and wrapped, cards that need to be written and mailed out, events that you have have shoved into your schedule to make sure you get the whole Christmas experience, family gatherings that you kind of maybe don't want to go to, but you have to go to. We've got all these things, and we say, I have to do all this stuff because of Christmas. And I'm there too. Like My calendar is full with things. And oftentimes those things, let's just be honest, they distract us from the wonder that God wants to show us through Christmas. We get so caught up in those things that we miss the wonder. Don't allow the exhaustion of your routine to distract you from the wonder of Christmas. Don't allow the exhaustion of your routine to distract you from the wonder of Christmas. So God determines what's significant, not us. Let him do that. And don't be in Bethlehem. Don't be, don't be I would say it this way. Don't just, don't come to church and miss it. Don't say, you know, Merry Christmas and miss it. The wonder that God wants to do in your life through what he did 2,000 years ago. Don't be in Bethlehem and miss it. See, God used the insignificant to bring the wonder of Christmas into the world. Don't miss that this Christmas. Don't overlook that. Allow yourself to be amazed and full of wonder at how God can work in huge ways through seemingly insignificant things. Let's pray together. God, you remind me over and over again as I read this story, as I engage with the story of Christmas, that God, you did something truly amazing and most people missed it. God, we don't want to be people who miss it. We want to be captivated by the wonder of how you can take seemingly insignificant details and work the most amazing miracle that's ever happened. God with us. God, help us to see that. Help us to experience it. God, I pray for someone here this morning who who maybe they feel insignificant. Maybe they feel hopeless. Maybe they feel worthless. Maybe they feel oppressed. Maybe they feel beaten down. God, the message of Christmas is for them. Jesus said, I came into this world for those people. And God, may this Christmas season be the the time of year that they can be reminded that you love them, that you care about them, and that this season is mostly for them. God, I, I pray that we would see ourselves that way. We wouldn't be too puffed up and proud to say, well, I deserve it. But God, you came because we don't deserve it. Help us see that. 
Help us see that you determine what's significant. And God, help us not to miss the wonder of Christmas this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship before we go. Let's stand.
Emmanuel, our God is here with us. That's the wonder of Christmas. Let that capture your heart once again. Next week, uh, Pastor Dan is going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how wonder captivated her hearts. But as you leave from here today, don't be in Bethlehem and miss it. Wake up to the wonder that God wants to do in your heart and your life this Christmas season. Thanks for being here.